Episode 232 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by cloud accounting software FreshBooks. Get access to all of FreshBooks features free for 30 days when you go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. It's much, quote unquote, safer to have my kids reading a book, finding directions on their own, talking to people, than putting this Godzilla device of power (laughs) in their pocket. Hello there, nonfiction book lover. My name is Jeff, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. And this podcast is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. It's based on my belief that if you want to achieve what I call true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Here at the Read to Lead podcast, the attempt is to narrow this ever-important reading list and upon doing so, bring you the key insights and main ideas from today's most successful and inspiring authors. One of those is a young lady who has authored numerous books. We'll sit down in a few minutes with Arlene Pelicane, where we'll likely spend the majority of our time talking about Arlene's book, Calm, Cool, and Connected, Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life. Another of Arlene's books I plan to spend some time in is one called Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven world. To that end, I'll ask Arlene to share details about the impact that our dependence on technology is having on us, how to determine if your kids are addicted to tech, and if so, what to do about it. We'll, of course, discuss the benefits of technology as well, and much, much more. You know, I am so thankful to companies like our sponsor, cloud accounting software, FreshBooks. Without them, putting out this content week after week would be much more cost prohibitive. One of the ways you can express your thanks to them is by signing up for their free 30-day trial. You get access to all of FreshBooks features during that time. They don't take credit card information from you, so there's no obligation to keep going beyond the 30 days. But in the meantime, you get to try out a really cool product and see if it's right for your business. And know that my recommendation for FreshBooks cloud accounting software doesn't come from a place of them asking me to say nice things about it. Not at all. It comes from having used the product in my own business for nearly a decade. You should know that I get a number of requests for sponsoring the show. The overwhelming majority I say no to. Why do I turn down so many? Because I only want to share with you the products and services I believe in and can stand behind. If you haven't tried it out yet, I encourage you to do so. You can go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead right now to sign up for their free 30-day trial. Be sure to enter Read to Lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. One more time, that address is freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Arlene Pelicane is a speaker and author of several books, uh, including a couple that we're going to attempt to dive into today. One of those is a brand new one called Parents Rising. 31 Days to a Happy Husband is another. A Calm, Cool, and Connected, Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life is a book I've been enjoying the last few days and is teaching me a lot. We'll dig into that. She's also the co-author of Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World. That's a book co-written with Dr. Gary Chapman. And if that name is familiar to you, it's probably because you've heard of the five love languages, one of the most popular books on the planet. Uh, She's also been featured on numerous media outlets like the Today Show, Fox and Friends, and Focus on the Family and now the infamous Read to Lead podcast. Uh, For more on Arlene, for free family resources, to find out about her Happy Home podcast, you can visit her website, arlenepelicane2ls.com. Arlene, welcome officially to Read to Lead. 
Great to be with you, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Well, since since digging into one of your books, Calm, Cool, and Connected, I have been trying to be more mindful about how often I'm looking at my phone specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I went on a date on Wednesday, and, and I did manage to only look at it once uh, during the wow. course of that date, which is huge. Nicely done. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've used apps, and I'm trying to remember the names. Uh, I think one of them is called Moment or Momentum mm-hmm. or something like that, that yep. is supposed to help you sort of curb how, how much you use a device like that. And I find that I use it for a time and then I stop using it. And I'm wondering if maybe you can help shock me and, and others into changing this particular habit and others related to technology. What what impact, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, is this dependence on yes. technology having on us ultimately? Yeah, we like to think of ourselves as independent, like not needing anything mm-hmm. and that technology is helping us to become more effective and it's giving us more quality time moments. But look at us, like here we're talking about this and we have apps to regulate how we use our <laughs> devices. We go on dates. And if we only touch our phone once, that's like an unusual accomplishment. (laughs) Like what has happened to us? And I think it is just the realization of just kind of coming out of the matrix and thinking, am I using my phone too much? And am I not really connecting to people? Because the phone, you know, it has this guise of this will connect you to others. This will allow you to, you know, Skype people in different countries. You know, this is allowing us to talk right now. So there's so many cool connective things about it. But on the same token, it tends to be a time waster. It tends to be a stressor, you know, that you're just bombarded with all this information. And and so I think for us to look back and say, is this like a digital binky in my life, a digital pacifier? <laughs> you know, like if I left home and I know my route, you know, I don't need it for the map, like I can get to my destination. Can I get back home without thinking like, oh my goodness, I'm going to go into hives because I don't have my phone <laughs> with me, you know? So it's just this idea of, can you be independent of your device? You know, I understand you need directions. And if you were out of town, you'd really need it for your contacts and all that. But besides all those things, how much do you need it? And then how much is it affecting your personal life? That's the the issue there, because you want to ask yourself, is this technology bringing me closer to the people that I love? Or is it becoming this kind of slow fade where I'm talking to people less and I'm just kind of scrolling more? And and I think that's the habit that we need to really look at. Now, related to that, and, and let me preface this by saying I am not a parent, uh, and so I, I I ask this somewhat reluctantly or comment on it somewhat reluctantly. But you know, I, I see parents who are giving their children these devices at a very young age, and other parents who seem to do well at holding off on that. The ones who are, are giving in, if I can say that, uh, especially with phones, seem to want to do that a lot of times because of safety reasons. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts and opinions surrounding children and how young or at what age they, they should be participating in you know, having a cell phone or a smartphone? That, that sort yeah, it's a great question. I can come to you with my own children who are in fourth grade, seventh grade, and ninth grade. So I'm, I'm representing an elementary, middle, and high school. Perfect. And we live in San Diego. They all go to public school. All of their schools have more than a thousand kids in them. So we're not living under a rock somewhere. <laughs> and none of my kids have cell phones, including my 
my ninth grader, so that's very unusual. And none of them have personal iPads, although we have Chromebooks and iMacs in the house for homework, but they none of them have personal devices. And so just you can see from my choices, I've kind of chosen to do something very different. And, and I say this not to condemn like, oh, you gave your child an iPad, shame on you. So not that. But what I found for myself is it's much, quote unquote, safer to have my kids reading a book, finding directions on their own, talking to people. That's much safer for me than putting this Godzilla device of power <laughs> in their <laughs> pocket so they can talk to whoever they want. They can watch whatever they want. You understand. Mm-hmm. To me, it's safer for my son to bike to school, which he does, you know, three miles there, three miles back. You know, it's safer for me to send him without a phone and let him rely on his own wits like we used to, then give him a phone and then risk that addiction. Now, is every child going to become addicted? No. But you talk to pediatricians and they will tell you there is a seismic shift in our culture. Up to 40% of our kids could become addicted to video games, to social media. And why do I want to give my child that kind of crutch in their 20s and beyond where it's like, oh, I've got to play this game for three hours. Oh, I have to check on social media before I do anything else, you know. So I want my kids to be independent of that. And to me, the safety is in pushing that back. I love to tell parents Bill Gates did not give his kids cell phones until they were in high school. And if it's good enough for Bill Gates, it's good enough for me. But I certainly think not in elementary school. You know, my child is in fourth grade, Lucy, our youngest. And there, I see a lot of cell phones at school, at elementary school. And I see these kids walking into school, walking out of school with their heads buried in their phones, where maybe they used to be riding bikes. They used to be chatting and talking and laughing together. And you see it at a very young age, this dependence on devices. So for elementary school, I I would definitely have the boldness to say, wait, do not give your fourth, fifth or sixth grader a phone or else you're going to deal with, as I was just talking to a mom with a sixth grader who has friends who are dealing with depression, suicide, cutting. And these are friends from two parent homes where you would think, why are you so depressed? But they're surrounded by these television programs, social media, all these things where it's like kind of cool to have all these problems. And you see that. And that, my friends, is something I would want to guard my child against. Well, I just want to say I didn't have a cell phone until I was 27. Yeah. (laughs) That may have had something to do with the fact that they weren't around until I was 27. Well, related to to some of that, in your opinion, what, what kind of impact, Arlene, is the constant stream of social media having having on our culture as, as, as you see it kids and adults right so I think there is this hyper dependence on what other people think of us you know we've always cared what do other people think of us but now <laughs> we post a picture and it's like okay did anybody like that okay are they responding you know and it's just we're waiting what what's gonna happen and yes some of that is very legitimate in business but some of it is like hey just live your life and it's okay if people you know like it or don't like it or the algorithm changed or whatever. (laughs) And so we're so wrapped up in that. And so I think it has made us hyper aware of what other people think of us and 
for many of us, that's to our detriment that we are spending too much time worrying, too much time worrying and comparing and looking, oh, she went on that vacation. Oh, he is, you know, just hit this list and is so successful. What about me? And so we just have this constant comparing that is now in our pockets that we can look at. And then it really puts that focus on put your best foot forward, like you've you've got to look good. And I mean, that's okay. Every, no one wants to put their worst foot forward. I mean, that makes sense. But it is just this constant. So it tends to be, you know, more shallow that we have that that um, width of so many contacts, but it's not as deep. So you might have 3000 friends on Facebook. But when was the last time you entertained people in your own home and had, you know, two people over for dinner and had a nice conversation? You might think, well, that hasn't happened for a long time. Mm. So we have this huge network of a lot of people that that we feel like we know. But if you had, let's say, a family catastrophe, who's going to come over and sit with you? You know, if you're going to have dinner with some you want crave community, you know, who's going to come over on Friday night? And those are the relationships really that pay off. And so I think this constant social media gives us the guise of like, oh, we have so many friends, but then we're still lonely and we still need that time and connection with people. You, you make a good point. My wife and I just had three other couples over about two or three weeks ago for a, for a cookout, which is something that we hadn't done in I can't remember when. And we left that asking ourselves, why haven't we done that more? Why do, why are the times we do that so few and far between? And the conclusion that I came to was, well, we kind of feel like we're we're conversing with these folks on a regular basis yeah. uh, through our devices, but that doesn't replace sitting down face to face with people, obviously. And it was it was such a such an eye opening experience for. I mean, it sounds silly, but to just right. look at that and go, gosh, we, we need to be doing this more often and not depending on those other forms of communication communication so much. Yeah, you can think if you text back and forth, you know, for a friend, hundreds and hundreds of texts. I mean, that's good. But if you just spend 10 minutes, you know, face to face with that friend, you'd probably learn a whole lot more <laughs> in just that 10 minutes of talking to each other. Yeah, totally. Well, one thing I'm guilty of that I thought of as I as I read uh, Calm, Cool and Connected uh, specifically is, is when my wife walks into my office to briefly chat and how I interact with her. My, my back is to the door and she'll, right. she'll, she'll sometimes walk in to say a few words. And if I acknowledge her at all, it's maybe me slightly turning my head to look over my shoulder. Yeah, and that's about it. She gets it. a different angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I really liked the technique you suggested when someone engages you and you're otherwise you know, looking at a device of some kind. Yeah. You call it the pivot. Can, can you describe that? Yes, the pivot is simply when you're with your device in front of your computer, holding your phone, tablet on your lap, and someone, a human being you know, <laughs> enters the room, you literally pivot away from that device, give them your full eye contact and say, hi, or what do you need? Or, oh, here's the answer to the question you just asked me. And you literally pivot your body away from your device and give them your full attention. You know, and this came when I was writing the book Growing Up Social. And my kids thought that was so funny. Oh, mom, you're talking about being social with your kids and your back is toward the computer. You know, they thought that was so funny. And so I developed this realizing, okay, when I hear their footsteps coming up the stairs, and I know they're going to pop up in that stairwell right into my writing loft, you know. So when I heard those footsteps, I would literally 
literally pivot my chair. And when they reached the top of the stairs, I'd be looking at them and saying, hey, how was your day at school? Or, okay, that is in the whatever, whatever question they were asking. And then I go back to my work. And I realized just that small gesture of pivoting towards them made them feel I'm important. Like what I have to say takes priority over whatever my parent, my spouse, my friend is doing. And that is a good and healthy thing to think that the people come first, the device comes second, your email will be able to be finished, you know, you'll get back to your work, no problem. But the person that's entered your airspace feels like, okay, fine, good, I'm important enough. And it really doesn't take more time. It's about the same amount of time, the interaction, but it's simply this nonverbal that says you're more important than this machine. You know, it's not unusual today to go into public and, and, and see virtually every other human being ignoring everybody around them or to see a family uh, together at a restaurant table. And if there's ever uh, a child acting up and making a scene, I'll often notice that at least one of the parents has their nose buried in a device. And, and you can't help but wonder, is that child just dying for your attention? It's so true. It is so true. And, you know, those are two scenes. One is like with your people, you know, with your group. And then one is just kind of on your commute as you go on. And I think when you're with your people, whether you're having a business lunch, whether you're meeting with a sister, whatever you're doing, it is so important that, hey, this is our time together. I mean, how often do we get to eat dinner or have lunch with with these people. So don't waste it by looking, burying your head in the phone. Now for that parent who is ignoring, you know, your child, I get that. It's easier to pretend like you're busy. <laughs> like, hey, I'm important. I've got this important email. I don't want to deal with my five-year-old pesky kid, you know, but it is so important that you get those priorities straight with whether you're with children or someone else. Like, do I want a relationship here or do I want convenience? You know, because it's more convenient to look at your devices. It's more convenient just, okay, conversation's awkward. Let's all look at our devices. But that's not going to get you far in life. That's not going to give you the relationships you want. You know, no one at the end of their life says, oh, I wish I would have just spent more time on Instagram. You know, nobody's <laughs> going to say that. It's the it's the relationships you have. Mm. And, you know, and during that commute, when you've got your earbuds in and, you know, you're untouchable, you know, there's a point of that that's okay. We need time to decompress. You know, that, that makes sense. But when someone is approaching you on a commute or someone someone talks to you, let's have that common courtesy, you know, to look someone in the eye, answer their question. There, I think there is that need for common courtesy again. My husband and I were recently on a date. We live in San Diego, so we have a lot of tourists here. We were walking by the water. It was a quiet evening, so there weren't many people on the sidewalk. And there was this couple taking pictures of each other. And you could kind of tell like, hey, they'd probably like a picture together. Mm. Now, if we are tuned into our devices only, we just walk by those people. We don't notice those people. You know, we're on our phones, got things to do, got our ear buds in, we just walk past. But if you live like you just want to be aware that there are other people around you. So we my husband just asked, would you like us to take your foot? Oh, yes, please. Turns out they were from Ethiopia. You know, it's mm. like, that's kind of cool that you're walking and you made somebody's day. They were so happy. And they're now probably thinking, oh, Americans are so friendly, you know, so like, you never know, you know, who you might touch, who you might help, who you might smile at. So yes, it's okay, you know, be on your device, but just be open that there are people around you. And and show that common courtesy again. It's not all uh, terrible news, Arlene. You, you hinted at yeah. some of this a moment ago. Uh, what are some of the uh, benefits to having immediate access to the technology we do today? I think uh, immediately of you know being able to, wherever you are, listen to this conversation for, for one. What are, what are some other examples? 
Yeah, there are so many, right? There's You can learn so much now. You don't have to. You're not limited by the people you know in person. You can know all of you have all these kinds of mentors online. You can watch videos of people. You can listen to talks. You can listen to podcasts. I mean, the, the ability to learn now is just amazing that you could just be there with your device and have this constant stream of information. And so here's the catch, right? So you need to get this information and then you need to do something with it or Mm. else we're very information rich which we are but maybe we are application poor or maybe we are wisdom poor so those are those places where we need to seek things beyond just getting to know more like how do I use this and how do I have the discernment to know okay should I be using this because there's a lot of junk out there as well Mm. Um, technology obviously is great for Skyping people that you can't see in person but you could talk to on a regular basis you know I think of all these military families who are now able to Skype their loved ones. I mean, that's amazing. So GPS, you know, I was I was in Illinois a few weeks ago in the middle of cornfields looking for my speaking destination. And man, without that GPS, I tell you what, I wouldn't have made it. They'd all look the same to me. So there are so many amazing things. And you just have to realize it is that double-edged sword that there is that part that's, wow, this is great. And then there's that other part, checking your phone first thing in the morning, checking it late at night, watching TV till one o'clock in the morning because you just cannot get over the series that just keeps loading, you know, so there are, (laughs) there's also that other side that you have to exert a lot of self-control to make sure it's in its proper place. Arlene, for someone whose job requires them to say, always have their phone nearby, maybe they're on call, any practical strategies for someone in that situation to be more efficient with the time they spend on that device or, or online? This is my husband, believe it or not. He's a realtor and uh, he also manages properties. And so he always has to keep his phone nearby in case he gets that two o'clock in the morning call like, my house is flooding, you know, or whatever it is. And so a few things that I've seen him do that I think work, like he doesn't charge his phone exactly right next to the bed. It is across the way so that you don't build this habit of just always touching your phone. Mm. But if it, but if it, you know, he got a notification in the middle of the night, we would hear it. Believe me, we hear it, (laughs) you know, but it's just not right there. And then if we're in the car or we are other places, like our kids all understand, okay, if daddy gets a call, he has to take it because maybe it's this emergency. So we're all kind of trained in that way. Mm. So it is true, like in inconvenient times, it's like, okay, daddy's getting a phone call right now. Just everyone be quiet, you know, for five minutes while daddy's on the phone. Like we have done that many a time. But what makes up for that is when he's not on the phone, he is fully there, right? He's asking questions. He's telling stories. He's laughing. And if you have enough of that relationship in play when you're not on the phone, then when you do get that emergency phone call, the people around you are like, oh, yeah, let him take the call. Versus if you constantly are on your phone, even when it's not an emergency, but you're just always on it, then it's like, oh, my word. <laughs> like, when are you ever not going to be on that thing? So I think he makes a very concerted effort to ignore it unless it calls for an emergency and then really be there with the people that you're with and then explain to them, hey, you know, I'm an emergency worker. I have this going on. I have this. If I get a phone call, I'm sorry, I'm going to need to take it, but then I'll jump right back in with you, you know, so people understand that and I think they give grace to that. And related to some of that, there are studies, are there not, that have researched the the impact of spending time on that device or looking at that screen right before going to bed and and how that adversely impacts your, your sleep. 
How interesting. There was a, a pediatrician that I just talked to, and he was saying that they had this big medical conference, five-day conference, and one whole day was on sleep. And he mm. thought that was so amazing. And it's just because Americans are not getting enough sleep, whether they're a teenager, whether they're a full-grown adult, like we are spending too much time on devices. And they actually came to the conclusion that two hours was an optimal window to turn off your devices and go to sleep. And mm. I'm hard-pressed to know who powers <laughs> down two hours before bedtime. <laughs> but let that be kind of a cautionary tale that if we're watching something right to the point of sleep or we're on our phones right to the point of sleep, we're probably not preparing ourselves as well as we could be by, let's say, starting with a half an hour, half an hour before you know you're going to sleep. Okay, let's stop watching TV. Let's get reading our book, you know, that <laughs> Jeff recommends. Let's, let's start doing <laughs> a behavior like that and that that's going to be a whole lot more restful and lead you to a more successful sleep pattern for your life. <laughs> I'm one of those people who has used the excuse of my phone being my alarm that yes. wakes me up. And I, I use this app called Sleep Cycle. And I'm going to I'm going to tell on myself here a bit. I, I, it, yeah. and, and the point of the app is just to it lets me know each morning. Well, how much did I really sleep last night? How much was it deep sleep? Uh, and that's that, that's been my reason for having it next to me primarily other than, than the alarm. And here's two things I've recently realized. Number one is with the sleep cycle app, what am I really doing, as you as you said before, with that information? And the answer is nothing. It, it's just it's just curiosity. Sure. And and the other thing is I haven't woken up to the alarm and I don't know how long. I, I've got three dogs who at some point in the night are in bed or right. telling us it's time to get up and it's time for us to be fed. As I thought about those things, I realized, well, I've been saying to myself, I've been lying to myself that, oh, I need my phone next to me. Really, I don't. Yeah, that the things that we think we need, oh, I've got to have my phone for that. It's like, actually, I'd be just fine without it, you know? <laughs> and that is a good realization to make. And I've always thought there'd be like a market for like alarm clocks that look just like phones, you know? <laughs> so people could put their dummy phone as their alarm clock. Because so many people say that, you mm. know? Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that. Well, I've got a couple of questions I want to get to if we have time, Arlene, that aren't directly related to your books. But before I do that, is there anything else about this topic that you want to make sure that we know? I just want to encourage people, it's okay to assess where you're at and then make some tweaks and changes. Like what would be that good change in the next month for me to make and just make it one change. You know, don't try to fix like a thousand things, but say, you know what, I'm going to put my phone away at mealtimes. From now on, when I'm with somebody and we're having a meal, I'm just going to put that purse in my pocket. I put my purse in my pocket, put that <laughs> phone in my pocket. I'm going to do that. I'm going to collect phones at dinner time in the family setting, whatever it is, just pick something and don't give up on it after you've done it two days and you're like, this isn't working, you know, give it time, give it a month, keep with it. And, and you can make the changes that will really be helpful. Well, as a successful speaker, uh, I know you're a speaker. I assume you're a successful one. Uh, what, what are some I'll, of? I'll, I'll take that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are some of your tips for uh, delivering a talk that's that's impactful yeah. and memorable? I think practice your talk and record it, and then you can listen to it. It's something we learned from Zig Ziglar years ago. My mm -hmm. husband would tell me, Zig Ziglar would record his talks. You need to record yours too, you know? <laughs> so record your talks, listen to them in the car, and then you realize like, oh, with my word, this is like super boring 20 minutes in. <laughs> oh, goodness, I need to like start with something more exciting. So don't just assume, you know, okay, let me just wing it. Go ahead and record it. Listen to yourself. Don't be afraid of critique. So many times we're, you know, it's like our baby, our talk. We don't want the 
critique, but be open to that. And then I think when you're comfortable with it, then it's more about interacting with your audience than, okay, I need to know my speech. You know, I need to know what I'm worried about the words that are going to come out of my mouth and make it much more conversational. And whenever you can use humor, people love that. You know, it, it just opens people up and life is so stressful. So if you can provide a high point, that's something that people will remember. Uh, how about the books that you've you've read over the years or maybe more recently? What would you say, Arlene, are the, the two, maybe three titles that, that come to mind as having had a, an impact on you? Lately, the ones that have made an impact, one is called GIST, The Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids. And this is by a psychologist and by a pediatrician, the same pediatrician that I was referring to earlier in the podcast, Timothy Johansson. And then Michael Anderson is a co-author. And this is just this idea of how am I going to raise these kids who are ready for adulthood. That's important. So I think so many of us as parents, we were just kind of winging it, but we can seek mentors and we can seek help. So just that was really helpful to me as I look at my kids. And then another book is Irresistible. And that's by Adam Alter. And it's the rise of addictive technology and the business of keeping us hooked. And then it's, it's a very eye-opening read about this technology we've been talking about that, wait a minute, this is not a fair fight. Like there is a reason why I keep touching my phone and why kids are on video games and why I'm checking social media. This has been engineered, you know, by thousands of people to make this as highly addictive as possible and rewarding to us. And, you know, so that's an eye opener because it just shows you this is not a fair fight. Mm -hmm. And particularly with young people as adults, if we're having trouble, you know, with the addictive nature of technology and we have, you know, our nice brains, (laughs) they have their, you know, 13 year old brain, how how are they going to deal with this kind of addiction? So I highly recommend that. That's very eye opening. You know, related to to gist, you made me think of an article I read recently. I think it was written by a, a college professor, and we've all heard the term uh, helicopter parents more recently. Uh, right. And it may have been an interview you did where I heard the term lawnmower parents. And this college professor tells a story, uh, just one example of how he's seeing parents just come in and, and, and rescue and swoop in and save yes. their kids too often. Uh, he gives an example of a, of a mom coming to his office. Their their college-age kid is in tow, and they've got a scheduling issue they need to fix. And, and the parent is doing all the leading and all the talking and getting to the crux of this problem for their college-age student who's just you know, buried in a device probably and just following them where they go. It's the, it's the child that should be solving that, that problem. Is, it was, was the professor's point. Absolutely. So do not go to your child's college ever, please, and ask questions. Do not do that. Oh, you're cracking me up. Uh, we didn't dig into uh, Arlene's most recent book, which came out in April. It's called Parents rising. But Arlene, I want to give you a chance to, to share a little bit about that book, the, the focus of the book and, and, and tease it. Yeah, Parents Rising is a leadership book, and it will help prevent people from going to their college campuses <laughs> and going to do their kids' dirty work. Because when the parents rise up and say, wait a minute, I am the leader here, and you need to learn some skills, my dear child, and I'm going to take the responsibility to teach you, then guess what? They get to grow up and they get to be adults and they can solve their own problems. Not perfectly, none of us do it perfectly, but they're going to learn how to do it. So it is this idea of what are the things in our culture that are the norms, you know, amusement being the highest priority, the kids calling the shots instead of the parents, you know, all these things. So what can we do as parents to lead through this and to lead well? So this is a leadership book for parents and I find it very encouraging when parents get a hold of it and they say, oh, 
oh my goodness, I don't have to be taking orders for my two-year-old and my eight-year-old <laughs> and my 12-year-old. Like I actually pay the bills around here. I can do something about this. And so it is the liberation of parents that is kind of needed today. Well, I'm always reluctant to, to be the guy with no kids commenting on child rearing, but I did it anyway a couple of times. But you have <laughs> observations and those are valuable. That's right. I'm raising three four-legged kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of Arlene's uh, books, again, are uh, 31 Days to a Happy Husband. We mentioned that one. Uh, we dug specifically into uh, concepts from Calm, Cool, and Connected, Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life, as well as Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World, co-written with Dr. Gary Chapman. And again, the more recent book came out just a few months ago, Parents Rising. Her name again, Arlene Pelican. Arlene, thank you so much for taking time to, to appear with us today. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk with you. For links to the books that Arlene recommended, of course, her own books, ways to get in touch with her, including her website, podcast, and more can all be found at the page created just for this episode. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 232 for episode 232. I'm so thankful that you listen to Read to Lead each and every week. For comments or questions, you can reach out to me directly, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Thanks once again to Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks. If you haven't already, be sure and sign up for that free 30-day trial and get access to all of FreshBooks features when you do. Visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,